Episode 40 of Friday Night Counter Attack is underway. We're on the bank holiday Monday. We've had an amazing week of football, uh, mostly in terms of transfers, but mostly in terms of who's actually coming to the Premier League. So we're actually going to record a very special podcast for you for next week in in the, the arrival of said person. But um, we'll leave you guessing of who it is. I'm pretty sure everyone knows who it is that's arrived to the Premier League as of now. But it's been a good week for me, Saf. Is not here. Arif is not here. Rahil isn't here, and Vish isn't here. But it's you're very trustworthy, Sir Salim Parkinson, who's back again um, on the podcast. So Salim, it's good to see you back on the podcast. We met a couple of times this summer. It's been good to see you in person. But uh, how you been? How was your weekend? Yeah, it's been quite good actually. I've um, I've actually been uh, sort of in Birmingham last week. You know, we met up on Friday, mm. and uh, we met up earlier in the month as well. So yeah, it was good. Sort of got back to Yorkshire Sunday morning and. Played played a game eleven aside. It was a friendly this week, and uh, yeah, so here we are Monday bank holiday, day off, just sort of chilling. Um, sort of in the process of sort of my mum's sort of sold the house and she's moving, so sort of moving my stuff out of there. So just boxing that up. So it was good to sort of you know get a break from the day and get on here. To be honest, no, it's always good to have you on as well. And like we said, we we met Friday night football, so it's good to have you back on on the GoPro footage, which will be up and running by the end of the week. Probably tomorrow. I've done some pretty good editing over the last couple of weeks as well. So I'm quite happy with what I've done. And um, next week, I think is I think next week is my last Friday night football because um, the week after I won't be able to make it. And I think from there will be university. So if anyone's listening to it on Friday now, this is probably going to be the last time you're going to see GoPro Friday night football on YouTube. So or for a while anyway, because I'll probably come like, like Salem does like once a month or so, make the effort to come. But it's going to be too much when I'm off to university, so it'll be good. Um, but no, been a good week ahead of uh, football with the international break coming up. So we've got three games in the England games, um, but we're not going to focus on that at all. We just want to talk about basically just reviewing the first impressions of the Premier League so far. So, uh, Salem, how has the Premier League been for you in general? How have Aston Villa been with the, la- with the loss of Jack Grealish? And how do you kind of see the season going, judged on these three games ahead that we've just seen? I'd say one thing first is that no matter how much you edit that footage, I don't think you'll be able to make me look good after the way I played on Friday. It was uh, quite a tough affair, I think. But yeah, um, sort of back to, back to football. To be honest, in terms of Grealish, like I went to the game on uh, Saturday, the Brentford game. Brentford mm. do play some good football. Um, it is weird not having Grealish there because I've only ever known Aston Villa with Grealish. Like, so it's so weird because I watch games without him, obviously, so I'm used to it. But to know that he's not there at all, it's just really weird like to comprehend but yeah to be honest some fans are sort of you know Dean Smith out and panicking and stuff but it's still early days the players are still gelling and you know we I mean we played like two two of the new newly promoted sides as well but and Newcastle as well but not panicking yet I think there's a lot of players out like I don't know we had about 10 players injured or something or COVID or suspended so I think we need to get a full squad the team need to gel and if anything we've got a much better squad than we did last year. I mean, if you think about the players that we had missing this weekend and we still fielded a really good side. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to seeing how the season goes. I'm not not panicking. I'm not worried. We've got so strength in depth. It's just a case of seeing how the team gel and how sort of Dean can get the best out of everyone. Another thing is it's quite weird not having John Terry and uh, Richard O'Kelly there as well because they were quite sort of um, people that the fans really did take to. Yeah, your background staff really giving it to the opposition as well on the benches, I remember, and even the fourth official as well. And literally just there to help Dean Smith get the team through some of these games as well. And they were a really big presence at Aston Villa and at Villa Park, especially for the home crowd, just like you said as well. But how do you kind of see Aston Villa going forward this season? Because like you said, you played two of the newly promoted sides. 
Uh, Watford was a difficult game for you. You beat Newcastle, but I feel like Newcastle are a team that's going to go down from what I've seen personally. And Brentford, who they, they played a really good system, like 3-4-1-2 they had. I like the way that they played. We, we were talking about them last season as well when they're in the championship. And it's good to see them in the Premier League, which would be good. But how do you kind of see Aston Villa kind of kicking on from here? Because I don't see any new signings coming in. We've got a couple of players out. Um, you had like Ashley Young starting on the wing and Twinsabi playing centre-back. And uh, you had Carney, Chukweb, Chukwemeka. Chukwemeka. Well, actually, Ashley Chukwemeka. Young played in, he played in centre-mid, to be honest, Ashley Young. Oh, did he? So it was like Al Ghazi mm. and Buendia on the wings or Chukwema on the yeah, wing? Yeah, yeah. No, no, that was uh, El Ghazi and Buendia on the wings. Oh, okay. But how, how did you kind of find that with, with a different style of play like you had? Because it was more I mean, like not going for that one player in Buendia. You had a bit more fluidity in that midfield, I, I would think. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, obviously, the team that Dean picked and he worked on, on um, so Friday, we didn't play on Saturday because of the whole COVID situation. Because, like, Mings and Ramsey and McGinn, were all three were going to start. So it was such a big thing last minute. And we still came through it. And that's... Normally a game that we probably would have bottled because, I don't know, it's just one of them when we've had like players out last minute, we've never been able to adapt and stuff. So some people need to like look at the sort of flip side of it. And even Watford, that game, if you look back at the goals and it was just sort of like, you know, we just created the problems ourselves. But um, I think we played really well. I think Wendy is a quality player. Um, I didn't realise how good he actually was. And even his goal, I don't know if you've seen it, but... His goal itself, like, he took it so well. Like, I don't think I've seen, like, you know, Grealish do something like that. So he's quite a different player to Jack as well because I don't think Jack had that sort of in his locker. Like, he could score from outside the box and stuff. But I don't know, it was just the way that Wendy had took that goal. You could tell, like, technically he's probably, you know, more gifted than Jack was. Yeah, I, I would I would look at that goal again. And, and when you look at it again, the fact that he could have easy, played the easy option of going out wide or playing it square... He just had that extra second to himself when he was like, you know what, I think I'm going to shoot here. And he did it, which is really good. And he's got a great technique on him when he's shooting from outside the box. And the fact that he spent the whole of last season in the championship and Arsenal were caught in him and they didn't even make a move for him. And Aston Villa came in the summer and they got him. It shows that I've, I think that you've got a real gem on your hands and it's someone that not going to be the best of replacements for Jack Grealish, but someone that you could afford and someone that will actually get you the goals and assists and link the team up. Well, Buendia is probably one of the better ones you could have gone for as well. And... Going forward, I think Buendia will be another 50, 60 million pound player that eventually will be courted by bigger teams. That's how I see it personally. With, with yeah, I think, I think the other thing is like we were, we were sort of looking to not replace Jack with one player. So mm. the thing is, we've got like, we used to be quite a one-man team. Like I'll admit that there'd be times where, you know, we'd just be so flat and we'd just look to Grealish to, you know, pull, pull the rabbit out of the hat kind of thing. But now it's more so like we've got different options and, Obviously, when Leon Bailey comes through as well, we've got that. And then we've got a good sort of crop of youngsters coming through as well. So I think, I just think like the team needs a bit more gelling, need a bit more match fitness as well. But I think once we sort of click and we've got a couple of formations as well, because we could easily play like three at the back and stuff. I think once we click properly and we sort of get down and play, you know, I think we can we could easily sort of try and break into that top six. Especially when you've got Watkins and you've got Ings firing on all cylinders with Buendia behind them as well. I see that. It could be a three at the back with, what, two and Zabi, Konsa, Mings, and you've got Ashley Young left wing back and you've got Matty Cash right wing back. Yeah. McGinn, McGinn, Nakamba maybe, centre mids, and you've got Buendia in front of them. We've still got, like, you know, Douglas Louise came in that day. A lot of, like, even a lot of fans don't back him, but he was, like, quality when he came in. Mm. Like, you know, he really, like, ran that midfield. Like, he's so good at his close touches. And when he's got, like, two, three players around him, he's so good at finding that escape pass and just turning out of trouble and, you know, reading danger. He's quality. And uh, obviously, he plays for Brazil as well. 
And then you've got Morgan Sanson, which people haven't really watched much about, but we basically signed him from Champions League Marseille um, last season in January. The thing is, he was meant to be signed in the summer. So mm. we got him early. So like a lot of players, people are still thinking, oh, we still need to sign another midfielder. But the thing is, we've already got him and it's just a case of when he can get his fitness up because he was somebody that Wolves wanted to pay about £40 million for like a year before. But due to COVID, we got him like, you know, really on the cheap. So I'm looking forward to seeing him like really settle him. Yeah, sure. it'll be it'll be good to see Sam's because I've I've talked about him before with you and with other people at Friday Night Football who are Villa fans. I'm like, I, I really want to see him play in the Premier League and do well because at Marseille he wasn't the biggest or best of midfielders, but he still put a shift in and he's still someone that can create out of nowhere against their on a play. So seeing Samson in the Premier League will be one that I'll be looking out for if Dean Smith wants to start him um going forward. Um but that, yeah, that was our little review of Aston Villa. We'll go straight to my team, which was Manchester United against Wolves and I think when you're watching a game on Sky Sports and Graham Zunas is there as a, a pundit, everything's kind of going to, meant to go against Manchester United. But everything was against us. Like Wan-Bissaka made a really good clearance. Gaia made a really good save. Verena Maguire had a decent game at centre-back. And I thought with everyone getting gassed over Adama Traore, he didn't really get behind our back line that often. He was driving up players, he was driving up Fred, he was doing this and that. But he's the same player that I've seen over the last couple of years, Adama Traore, someone who hasn't got an end product, someone who shouldn't be worth 60, 70, 80 million, because he's just, he is a, he is a bodybuilding speed merchant, really. And when you look at him, he should be scoring more goals. He should be finishing because he gets through on goal a lot, not just against like um, other lower teams, but he gets through chances and he misses them, which is awful. And I thought it was really good to see Trincao and very good to see Raul Jimenez play another good game again, uh, coming back from that obviously horrible injury he suffered a couple a season or two ago against David Luiz uh, for uh, Wolverhampton. But I, with Wolverhampton, I don't really think they're going to trouble much this season in terms of Europe with a new manager in, a couple new players in. Trincao will be exciting to watch. He was exciting yesterday. I don't think Ruben Neves is going to leave because there's rumours of him going, but I don't think he's going to leave anytime soon. Realistically, Wolverhampton, they're not going to challenge for Europe, but I think they're going to be putting up fights in these big games. And I think with the fans back, they loved it because it was a very hostile atmosphere and something that we've missed in the Premier League over the last year due to COVID as well, Salem. So how do you kind of see Wolverhampton um, going forward this season? I thought I watched the game, actually. I watched, uh, I think, mainly the second half. I thought, I thought Wolves looked quite good, actually. And I think probably should have got the win on the run of the chances of the game but I think United did well to sort of you know dig deep stick and you know they got in and got the win in the end but I think um, Adama like just such a lack of end product we had him at Villa as well but we didn't really see much of him but somebody that's got all that dribbling and pace and athleticism and strength and you know he's got literally he's got everything except for that one thing end product like if I was him I'd just be in the training ground every day just you know hitting crosses and shots in like for hours and he could be you know absolutely amazing as a talent because when you he, yeah sorry carry he on. had that end product he could win the ballon d'or that's like you know uh, as easy to easiest way to put it really because when you look at the guy when you look at how he's been playing over the last couple of years sometimes he's been right wing back sometimes right mid sometimes right wing forward and the fact that spain didn't even select him in that semi-final when they had six subs to use and they really could have got past that back line. They knew for a fact he could get past Chiellini, Bonucci, um, who is it, uh, Di Lorenzo at left-back as well. But he didn't come on. And that's probably one of the reasons why, when you look at the fact that other wingers like Torres and uh, Oyozarabal, who was a winger there as well, yeah. Morata came on. In terms of Adama Cotreo's career, he's what, 25, 26 now. He's in, he should be coming to his peak of his career. 
and it's not really going into um, anything different. He hasn't really changed up his game. He's still that pacey winger that he should be, but his yeah. end product has kind of let Wolverhampton Wanderers down. And if Spurs were to buy him, would they be any better with Adama Traore as a winger? Or would he still be feeding balls into Kane or to Son or even helping with the goals? I don't think so. Personally, I don't think so. How do you see that? I just think if he just got that, I don't know why, but it's so obvious what he needs to work on as a player. Mm. And the thing is, like, surely he can get they could coach him into something, you know, like, you can't exactly, like, you know how hard it is to build up that strength and, you know, not every player is going to be able to have that sort of level of pace, no matter how much, you know, you could train and add to your explosive, like, you know, you could probably get a bit faster, you know, if you did training, but him, mm-hmm. it's like, all he needs to do is, I don't know, maybe sit with James Ward-Prowse one day or something and then just do every single cross in the book. Honestly, he just needs to work on that end product and he'd be, he'd be a world beater, that's simple as that. Yeah, it would be someone that the Premier League would be scared of, not just because of his overbearing size and, and his ridiculous speed. It's someone that... Because when you think about it, Salim, we don't really have that many amazing dribblers in the Premier League anymore. Not like we used to, even five, ten years ago. The likes of Hazard, Rupertinho, um, even players like Sanchez. Alexis Sanchez was a great dribbler on the ball. But when you look at it now, there aren't as many great ones. And Adama Traore is a great dribbler, but besides that, there's not much else that is really kind of doing. And that's that's something that I really want to see a bit more of in terms of players from Manchester United as well. Like Jaden Sancho, he's still yet to get off the mark, but that was only his first start yesterday. You've got Daniel James, who is meant to be really good at dribbling, but clearly hasn't progressed in the last couple of years as well. Anthony Marshall came on yesterday and he looked, he looked more comfortable on the left as opposed to being the number nine striker. He had a bit more freedom to himself. He could do a couple of skills here and there, trick the opponents, which I thought was quite good. But at the end of the day, with uh, the situation with Man United at the moment, obviously we signed um, one of the best players of all time, Cristiano Ronaldo, who's come back home to play at Old Trafford. How does he fit in with the likes of Mason Greenwood and Rashford and Jadon Sancho in a team? Will he be the, the main number nine? Will he be the one that's really kind of just going to score the tap in to score the six-yard goals as well? Because that's how I kind of see that. So, yeah, with the from from what I kind of showed, I know we were talking about the wingers in the league, but even with Ronaldo coming back in, if he's going to be still the kind of dribbler that he was at Juventus and Real Madrid, that would be something that I think Sancho, Daniel James, Mason Greenwood and Marcus Rashford will, will actually learn from him as well. But when you kind of look at it in other teams, you can probably see like one or two that will dribble at you because everyone plays in that system. And the Premier League has become a lot more possession-based as well. That's how I kind of see that, Silent or more defensive uh, base for teams like Burnley and Newcastle as well. But St. Maximan is a brilliant dribbler when you look at him in, in Newcastle and he can take on plays left, right and centre. How do you kind of see the Premier League in terms of dribbling stats as well? Do you see it becoming more like that or kind of less like that? Um, I think that, I think, you know, we've got some, we've got some good dribblers in the Prem. Um, I mean, St. Maximan's problem mainly is that he's playing in such a defensive team. Mm-hmm. If anything, like, I think he needs to, I don't know, I'd, I'd love for us to go for him, to be honest. But, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing, like, Leon Bailey play in the Prem. We have got some other, like, quite good dribblers, like, in the league. Yeah, you know, Man City are filled with them, for example. Like, you know, Bowden, Mahrez. You know, the list sort of just goes on. Like, even, you know, Bernardo Silva as well. But, you know, the like you said, the Prem has become a bit more, like, tactical. There's less of that sort of hoofing kind of mm. thing. And, you know, all teams are trying to, like, you know, you know, implement a style and brand of football, you know, due to sort of like the younger coaches that have sort of come through. And, you know, it's just made it more exciting for us, actually. So, 
I do think that the the winger role isn't dying, and you know the inside forward role is there to stay. If anything, it's just like if these players like Adama and you know say Maximana are push, if they could just sort of tweak themselves to get that end product right, you know, like sort of bang on, then you know they'd be real assets. Like you know they could be you know winning titles for you know sort of I'm not saying at Wolves, but you know at Spurs or something as well. Like. You know, they could be getting, they could be getting into these teams that could, they could yeah. be the missing piece of the puzzle in certain teams as well. And we've seen someone like Riyad Mahrez, who won the title with Leicester and did the unthinkable move to Man City and win the title as well, and be a key component in a couple of their title charges as well, which has been brilliant for someone like Riyad Mahrez. And um, speaking of Riyad Mahrez, let's go into the Manchester City versus Arsenal game because for the first time in a long time, I've seen Arsenal after three games with zero points, no goals, bottom of the table. Man City have won two games, so they're around mid-table as well. But I didn't watch the game. I, I was out. But I know for a fact that Manchester City just ruined them with that same kind of crossing ball that they always do. And with Arsenal playing some of the players that they have at the moment, Kolasin that still getting to starting lineup. Cedric is still relevant in this Arsenal team somehow. Granit Xhaka, who was meant to be on his way out this season, is still then rewarded with a yeah. new contract. Callum Chambers and Rob Holden still not up to the mark for me in terms of proper Arsenal defenders. Aubameyang getting subbed off after, what, half uh, an hour of, of the game as well. When you look at that Arsenal team, how do you see a way back for them under Mikel Arteta? Because I was talking last week and I was thinking, well, all of us were in agreement. I got my two Arsenal friends on. But I was basically just saying, like, when you look at it, it's, it's all hopeless. You're looking at the fact that Arteta isn't even the main problem. He's a problem. But when you're looking at the players and you look at the highlights of the game, and even the Chelsea game the week before, they played for 15 minutes and they gave up. They didn't show any commitment, any desire. And it's not Arsenal anymore. It's not the Arsenal that I fear. I know for a fact Arsenal will probably still beat Man United um, twice in the season, as they always do. That will be the only game they'll turn up for, that game and Spurs. But realistically, they're just giving them all, they're giving their team and their club a bad name and the fans are annoyed at it. Even sometimes I'm looking at it, even today, that Ainsley Maitland and Niles thing, he wanted to leave to go to Everton or known to get some game time. And then he puts that Instagram story about, about, about how he's not allowed to go out or he wants to play where he's loved or in, uh, appreciated. How do you kind of see Arsenal at the moment, Salomon? Especially because they have played Man City, they have played uh, Brentford and they have lost um, against Chelsea as well. I know it's a big, a big start, but still, show a bit more, I'd say show a bit more fight and passion for the badge, I would say, at the minimum. Yeah, um, sorry, actually, it's not Danny. Danny's a West Ham fan. I forgot what your mate's name, the Arsenal fan, was the season ticket holder, the teacher. Oh, Luke. Yeah, I need to get Luke, Luke on. That's it. Luke yeah, was so away. it'd be interesting to obviously have a conversation with him, but mm. I just, you know, it is like I'm the kind of person that would want to see the manager backed and, you know, see the project through. But I think Arteta's had enough time and it just doesn't seem like there's a feasible project there for him in the first place. Like the players themselves just, you know, they're just. It's just so weak. Like, even against Brentford, there was no fight. Then again, you know, against Man City, when the fourth goal went in, the fans were celebrating it because they thought, you know, that's the end of Arteta now. But I feel like if there's one team that you do want, like, you know what it is, in the Prem, there's no easy game. All 38 games, you know, you're going to have to battle for. But the caveat to that is that, you know, you're thinking, oh, if there's somebody I want to play this weekend, it's probably Arsenal, to be honest. Like, you know, that's probably where you're going to, you know, pick up. Like, we got six points off them last season. We still finished below them in the end because, you know, we sort of had injuries and stuff. But looking forward, like, if there was a team to play, like, players are picking other teams over Arsenal. Like, all these sort of transfer targets. Like, Wendy, Arsenal offered him, you know, pretty much the same package. And he opted for us. And then we went for Smith Rowe. 
And due to us going in for Smith Rowe, I think they've had to give him, give him like a contract three times the size of what they actually wanted to give him. But I just can't see there being a project like Aubameyang they signed to this like new contract and that was meant to be the end of them being a selling club, which was such a big step for them. But it's just it's just a hopeless mess. Um, it's yeah. a hopeless mess. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... Yeah, that, uh, it's it's sad to say as a as from a neutral point of view, it's sad to say. But when like I remember like all my friends and my family who are Arsenal fans, and they li they literally were like going over the glory days of being under Wenger and being the Invincibles and having players like Henri and Burkamp, and you're having players like Lacazette and Elneny and Maitland Niles coming off the bench against Man City, and all of their new signings that they signed, 135 million pounds worth, not even getting on the team, not even starting. Lokonga, who had a decent game, I thought against. Chelsea didn't get on the pitch against Man City in a team where they needed to break down the midfield. And they played, they had two um, goalkeepers on the bench as well. One of them's a sub goalie. Ramsdale's not going to replace Burnt Leno in the starting lineup. And they spent 30 million on him, which was awful. And you're kind of just... thinking, of all the transfer windows that we've had, this has been an amazing one for so many teams. Liverpool haven't spent that much, to be fair. They've got Kunate, who I think is a very good signing. But mm. when you look at the money Arsenal's had to spend, like how you say with Man United, we've had the funds, we've had the money, but I don't think they've spent it wisely enough. Maybe one or two of those young players, maybe. But when you're looking at proper first team, you want proper men, as Vish would say um, in cricket and in football, how, how he says on the group. But as Vish would say, you want proper men in that team to think, you know what, I want to take over this team and show a bit of leadership, a bit of class, a bit of dignity for the Arsenal badge. But I don't think that's there anymore in this Arsenal team, especially as a Bamiyang as captain and... Bernd yeah. Leno and Kieran Tierney as like the, the newer sign-ins who are now the senior leaders in the team. And you're thinking, no one really knows the Arsenal way besides the players like Smith Rowe or Bukayo Saka because they grew up through the academy. But it is embarrassing when you look at Arsenal and how they've been playing recently. I just, you know, I, I just don't understand where they can go now. Like, you know, it is, there probably odds, you know, there's probably some odds there for relegation. You know, I've, I've seen my team get relegated and it's sort of this kind of like start that's, you know, it is like they're on zero points. They've not even scored a goal. It's been three games. It's still early. You know, it does kind of seem like reactionary to sort of behave like this. But they've not, they've not like shown any fight. And like Xhaka's red card, it was pointless. It was sort of the end of the half. Mm. Players like nowhere near dangerous anyway. He could have gone in with, he should have just gone in with one foot and he would have won the ball cleanly anyway. And, and that's the first thing I'd say. But for some reason, he thinks he has to go in two-footed, which I don't know what, like, like there's no point in endangering you know the, another sportsman in the first place but yeah for all that sort of football heritage that Arsenal have got you know they you wouldn't even you know put them in so many teams in London like you know I'd rather play Arsenal than play Brentford right there's Liverpool versus Chelsea I honestly thought Liverpool should have taken more of an opportunity in that game especially when they were on 10 men and Chelsea did sit back and they would do they they literally survived that game to the best of their ability what did you make of that Reese James handball, Salem? Do you reckon it should have been a red card? Goal-scoring opportunity on the line, last man type thing? It's a tough one. Uh, I actually saw a video on football Twitter um, about Anthony Taylor and um, how he's been a bit like some dodgy decisions that he's given against Chelsea. There's even Mourinho coming out saying that there's some sort of dodgy agenda going on. But In big games one. as well. It was like yeah, FA Cup Final 17, one. FA Cup Final 2020 and, and uh, Saturday well, as well. Pretty much every game is done with Chelsea, but I don't know. There's, for me, it was I don't know. It's he's on the line, you know. It's it's hit his leg, but then he's hit his hand, and it does look like he sort of moves the arm 
you know, mm. like he he has like he knows what he's doing to keep it out. The thing is, once you give the sort of penalty, you have to give a red card as denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity. But uh, it's just a hard one. But I guess it, it probably was a red. But if anything, Chelsea should have had the game, you know, one, two, three before he even got to that because there was two good chances they had where all they had to do, I think one was Mason Mount. He could have cut it back to Lukaku or Havertz and it would have just been a tapping into an empty goal, you know, like a sweaty goal kind of thing. And they had another mm-hmm. chance somewhere else, I think Lukaku. But yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you don't, you know, take your, gar- I call it like, you know, it's pretty much a guaranteed goal kind of thing. And, you know, Liverpool went and scored the pen and then they did try to break that Chelsea team down and they stood firm. So fair play to Chelsea for hanging in there. That's sort of, the sort of characteristics you need if you want to win a title, you know. And Definitely. they could have even nicked it. They had one or two chances. I think Kovacic looked quite, bright when he came on so yeah I think if they had a bit more pace on Pulisic or something could have you know stretched the defence a bit more but you know it was sad that the problem is when somebody gets sent off and then they had to take off Havertz to get another defender in it's a bit unfair on Havertz you know goal scorer that could have you know done something else to affect the game but yeah I think Chelsea are up there as you know one of my favourites at least for to win the Prem and it's good to see them back you know Chelsea you know you'd say London are blue at the end of the day um but yeah, you know, fair, fair play to Chelsea for digging deep. Yes, I mean, like Champions of Europe, they've done very well over the last couple of years, especially in um, Europe going forward. The fact that uh, Thomas Tuchel has instilled this mentality now in terms of actually going for um, these big games and going into these big games, the fact that Liverpool barely got... No, they, they didn't get past that, that back line, that back five of Thomas Tuchel, Chelsea, and the fact that they didn't have a clear-cut chance in that second half when you really thought they could have actually gone all out. If they had a couple more attackers, they could have brought on, but they ended up bringing up um, Shumikas, the left-back on as well, a couple of uh, not many major attacking changes. And as we were mentioning before, in terms of how amazing this transfer window's been, maybe mm. Liverpool could have brought in another attacker. Not someone of like Shaqiri's um, uh, rating, probably someone a bit better, someone that can actually challenge Mane, Salah, uh, Firmino in that attack because Jota started the first few games very well and he got dropped and then uh, he got subbed on as a second half sub so it's going to be odd to see how Liverpool do because I thought Liverpool would be in and around the top four they still could be obviously again they're still in first impressions first few games but mm. when you've got a back five against this Liverpool side as well drilled and well disciplined as that Chelsea one it kind of shows the lower teams that you know what we can probably defend against this team because they're not really getting past us besides a couple of uh, crosses from Trent Mm. and three balls from Henderson and Salah. But it's going to be good to see how Liverpool do, especially when the Champions League come up because they've got, what, AC Milan in the group, they've got Porto. Um, there's another team in that group as well. But they've got some decent ones as well, which will be yeah. good. And, um, yeah, just to finish off this podcast, I know it's the international break, but I do want to just chat about Tottenham Hotspur because they're the ones that are top of the league at the moment. They're the ones with a new manager at the moment. They're the ones that were yeah. in the papers and social media went crazy over Tottenham Hotspur's captain Harry Kane because of the fact that he wanted to leave Tottenham. He didn't leave Tottenham. He stayed there. He had his first start on the weekend. How do you kind of see Tottenham going on the new note experience to Santos Island? Because for me, I think they're going to be pretty good. They could be in the top six, top seven. They're top of the league, obviously. Daily Alley's found a bit of form. And I'm quite happy with the fact that Oliver Skip's getting some good game time in that centre of midfield because they've had a couple of changes over the summer with Vertonghen leaving, um, with some personnel coming in, coming out. Jose Mourinho, obviously. Uh, Mason the manager left as well, the interim manager. But Oliver Skip seems like a really good sign. And it, and it shows that the loan system still works really well when you can loan someone out to the championship 
He was at Norwich last season. He did very well there. He's kind of just fit in like he's been playing there for years, Oliver Skip, in, in that sense of midfield for Tottenham. How do you kind of see Tottenham doing this season, Tyler? I think um, I think Nuno was firstly quite unlucky to be fired at Wolves. Like, I don't know the situation at the club, obviously, but as a sort of, you know, not like a neutral looking in, I thought he was quite unlucky because he lost Jimenez, who was sort of essential to the way that they play. You know, he got all their goals, you know, always kind of big. So I think he was unlucky to get fired, but I think he's, he knows he's got his system of playing football and he's going to implement, you know, that sort of brand of football at Spurs. And I think he should fit in with the players. I think Kane staying's a massive plus, obviously. Nobody sort of saw that come in, considering how the window went. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, I think I think they'll finish above Arsenal for sure. So any of the North London fans will enjoy hearing that comment. But, you know, I think I think they could do some, I think they could, you know, pleasantly surprise some people this season if they can sort of, not, like, I, would, I don't want to say bottle it, but just like not sort of fall apart and keep players fit. And if they can, you know, keep form, you know, this is going to be a transitional season for them. I'm not saying they're going to go and win the title because, you know, their project sort of, you know, sort of restarted slightly compared to, because they were sort of title challenges before and in Champions League football and stuff. So I think if they can get anywhere near that top four, well, especially that top six, top four, then... I'd consider it a successful season for them and then they could probably look to improve, maybe sign one player or another player. Sometimes not even about signing players, it's just sort of improving whilst working together and they could, you know, maybe push for the title in another two seasons. Yeah, because especially with the money that they've had coming in, they uh, Daniel Levy was very adamant about not selling him for a certain amount or, or less as well and Manchester City didn't want to pay that. And Harry Kane was quite happy to kind of stay and put that statement out like he did on social media and, uh, it looks like the fans have accepted him again. So he's going to be back as the England captain over the last next couple of games. We've got three games coming up. Um, with, with players like Tanganga coming through, Oliver Skip coming through, it's nice when you have a new manager coming in because Tanganga did have a go in the Mourinho, but you're kind of looking at these players thinking, um, could they be future England players? Tanganga could be another centre-back or right-back uh, for England. Could Oliver Skip be that possessional midfielder that we've kind of lacked in the last couple of years who can keep hold of the ball, play one-twos and play around other midfielders. It'll be good to see how he does because I've been impressed by his good start. Scout hams me, as I like to say, has been very impressed with how Oliver Skip's been doing. So seeing them in the conference league will be quite good to see because they've got probably, well, they're probably the favourites to win the conference league from the teams that I've seen and the players that they've got. So winning a trophy uh, would be a big thing for them to actually do in, in this tournament going forward with the UEFA conference league. But Tottenham... I think they'll go for a top six, top seven, top eight finish as well, because I think there'll be other teams around them that I think um, will be stronger than them. But as long as Spurs don't do anything Spursy, like they don't mess up or they don't slip up anywhere uh, anytime soon, keep their players free of injuries. Son looks like he's on fire this season, as he always does. Deli Ali looks like he's been enjoying his football again recently as well. And seeing some of these players at, um, how they are at the moment, it'll be good to see how Romero does, that new centre-back from Atalanta. Because he's kind of given up Champions League football to move to Spurs. So if it's if it's a good move for him, it'll be a good move for him. But there's going to be a lot to kind of do over the next couple of weeks for Tottenham Hotspur and to see how they actually do, which will be good. All right, then, Simon, let's end the podcast with how you kind of see um, this Champions League season going with the likes of PSG and Man City going. Because I did a podcast last week, but just your final impressions as a neutral point of view. How do you kind of see the Champions League going with PSG and Man City in one group? Man United with kind of an easy group on paper, I should say, and Liverpool with all of these classic teams. And then Chelsea with Juventus, a Ronaldo-less Juventus. So how do you kind of see the Champions League going, Salah? 
I think with the way the window's been and there's been some of the biggest shot transfers ever, like, you know, Messi, Ronaldo, for like, you know, that's the two two biggest ones ever in football. Um, it's going to be really interesting. All the group games are going to be, you know, fun to watch. Uh, you know, anyone that's getting tickets are lucky as well. But Man City's always sort of been made favourites. I think they're bookies' favourites at the moment as well. But Chelsea, look, you know, how they did it last year as well. So there's always like that underdog that always comes through, you know, that makes it through the stages. Uh, Atalanta and Ajax, you know, other teams over the past few years. Yeah, I mean, I've got no sort of prediction at the moment. No idea how it's going to go either. And don't want to speculate. I just want to just watch and just see how it how it is. If anything, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, some of those massive clashes. And it could be some of the last times we see some of those players playing against each other as well. Like, you know, imagine, imagine we got like um, a PSG United you know, final or something like that, it'd be, you know, it'd be amazing. Yeah, it'd be out of this world having Messi and Ronaldo in a final because you'd have thought over the years with Real Madrid and Barcelona they'd meet in a the final. They only met in a semi-final from what I remember correctly and one of them, Barcelona, lost the semi-final against Atletico Madrid and then it was Atletico versus Real Madrid in the final as well. So, it's going to be good to see how it goes because we all want to see that one last dance. We want to see Messi or Ronaldo lifting a big trophy as well and it'll be good to see how Ronaldo comes back to the Premier League but, Obviously, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, there will be a specific, hopefully there will be a specific, if Araf Rahil, Safian and Vish will get onto this specific Ronaldo podcast, which will be out next week, which will be good. But um, we'll leave it there, Salim. I know... Oh, actually, just give, uh, I'll give one note on Ronaldo, actually. So he was sort of one of my favourite players, actually, growing up. I've got loads of Ronaldo tops. I used to get one every year, like Real Madrid ones. And obviously, yeah. I've got a few Juve ones. But Real Madrid every year, I was just getting them. I love watching him play. He used to pick Real Madrid in FIFA. You know how it is. But yeah, I mean, he's, you know, unbelievable talent. Can't believe he's back in the Prem. You know, you know, even though I'm not a United fan, I'm going to enjoy, you know, watching him play. And just, I hope he plays like, you know, full games, you know, starts games. And I mean, he's not going to come sit on the bench anyway. But my only one shame, concern was that if Man City would have waited, you know, maybe another two days instead of getting Jack, they could have got Messi in. And that, I mean, that would have been the best Premier League season ever, you know. Yeah. But I guess that's life. So I am just really can't wait to see Ronaldo's first start, if anything. It'll be good to see Ronaldo's first start because his medical is completed today as we're speaking on the Monday. Uh, it looks like all the things are going to be, all the uh, T's are going to be crossed and the I's are going to be dotted, which would be great. It's going to be fun to see how Ronaldo really does in this new Premier League, in this new life of how it is and how... He left it as a boy and kind of came back as a world's greatest footballer. And it'll be good to see how uh, he starts on the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Like he's, he said it as well, he's not going to come to sit on the bench. He's going to come to play. He's going to start some games. He's going to inspire the next generation, which will be great. And hopefully people will be watching him uh, from a neutral point of view and thinking, wow, this will be great. I want to go and watch Ronaldo play at my local football club. And there'll be times when he'll be going to these away games, getting booed and all of that. And he'll love every second of it because he's Cristiano Ronaldo and he's used to it. And he'll want to shush them and he'll want to be the guy back in the Premier League again because he kind of got Serie A a lot more relevant than it did over yeah. the years by being at Juventus. And for people who aren't even interested in football to be interested in Cristiano Ronaldo coming to England, imagine if he goes, if, if there's like a third round away game at somewhere like Atkins and Stanley, the Atkins yeah. and Stanley will sell out all their tickets. Just like with Messi today or yesterday. That Reims team that you played. Reims, yeah, they all took photos with him. I was just going to say, photos. like, about uh, about Ronaldo, actually, is, um, you know, I've always wanted to see him live. And 
just never got that chance. So hopefully when he comes to Villa Park this season and hopefully he starts, I'll get to watch him play. That's that's one thing I get to sort of tick off, I guess. And the other thing I was me, gonna Yeah, sorry, the other thing I was gonna mention was that um yeah, I guess I guess it was a loan deal in the end. Uh I've been sort of saying a lot of stuff uh over the past, you know, few episodes, years, whatever you want to call it, um, mm. about Ronaldo being loaned out by United and then being linked back, saying that I was interested in a move back just to get a better contract wherever he was, Real Madrid and New Bay and stuff. So I guess, you know, it was it was sort of a loan deal in the end. So, yeah. I'll, the boy's I'll coming home. The boy's coming the boy, home. And the boy's home, yeah. It's going to be good. I think he had his medical in Lisbon today, so he's going to have his international break. Hopefully he stays fit. And hopefully on the 11th of September, I'll be able to go to watch Manchester United versus Newcastle. And I'll be able to watch Cristiano Ronaldo walk out of that tunnel as a Manchester United player again, because I've seen him walk out as a Real Madrid player, seen him walk out as a Juventus player, seen him walk out as a Portugal player, but never as a Manchester United player at Old Trafford. So it'll be good to see him walking out with the Manchester United red, maybe number seven, maybe not. We, we don't know how it's going to go, but if it's seven, CR7, it's, it's got to be really at the end of the day. Um, at this point, we don't know it uh, on this evening, but it'll be good. Everyone listening, thank you very much for listening. As always, uh, by, by all means, Karen, watching our GoPro Friday Night Football on our YouTube channel. It's been great to record it. This last week is probably the last week I'll be going, so it'll be the last week for a while. You'll see my uh, GoPro footage on, on YouTube. I scored a couple of goals. Salem's been good over the summer as well when he came, which was good. Um, enjoy Cristiano Ronaldo over the international break. Enjoy the England games coming up. And we'll see you soon. Take care and goodbye.